The following episode of the podcast contains mature content around the subject of sexuality. Listener discretion is advised. When God arrives and breaks into our story, God arrives with a lot of curiosity to invite us to reflect about the path that got us to where we are today. Welcome to The Dismantle, creating community, not converts. Welcome to Dismantle Podcast, a place for community, not converts. I'm your host, Joey. On this show, we attempt to dismantle an issue that poses as problematic for the church by having a discussion with a guest who has insight or experience with the subject. We're not always going to agree, and that's okay, but we're not going to argue because our goal is to build bridges and not barriers. Our guest today is Jay Stringer. Jay is a therapist, an author, and speaker who guides men and women to outgrow unwanted behaviors. He has a Master's of Divinity, a Master's of Counseling Psychology, an ordained minister, and EMDR-approved provider. Jay, welcome to the show. Joey, thank you for having me. I'm excited we got to connect, man. Thanks for saying yes. Absolutely. Thanks for asking. Looking forward to our conversation. So before we dive into that conversation, Jay, how did you get introduced to church and faith? What's some of your background with spiritual stuff? Uh, I would say in utero, I was probably <laughs> introduced. So I was, uh, I was born while my dad was in seminary. So I am a pastor's kid. So in many ways, I have grown up uh, in the church. So, you know, in a lot of, I mean, even the, the topic that we'll be talking about today, I mean, I just, I, my dad was the senior pastor of a smaller Presbyterian church. And so, you know, when people would try and get a hold of him in the midst of various crises, mental health, sexual crises, they would always try and reach him first at the office. And then if they couldn't get a hold of him there, they would call our home answering machine. And so in many ways, I got a front row seat to what is actually happening uh, in most congregations and in churches. So I think that that's, that, that was both a blessing and just a huge curse in many ways to really see, uh, you know, most people tell the truth of their lives through crisis and through a lot of the mental health struggles that they have. But then when you go into the majority of churches, uh, most people are not telling the truth about their lives. So uh, I grew up certainly in the church. Uh, and then I would say it wasn't until probably college that something of my faith really had to switch and transform. I was in the midst of a small group that we kind of referred to. We just got into a lot of reform theology. It was kind of the, the deader, the better type of mentality. So Jonathan Edwards, Martin Luther, John Calvin, and we were like, you know, if, if John Calvin's going to write his institutes by 21, 25, we're going to have them read by that point and just became a, <laughs> not an enjoyable person to be around. And right around that time, I heard uh, there was a guy named Dan Allender, who I would later study under. He came out to uh, a church to do a conference. And he essentially said, if you name resurrection without walking through death, you've trivialized something of the cross. And for me as a kind of a, a Christian that really just always tried to see the silver lining in anything. So any place of heartache, any struggle that I always had, always had to have some redemptive spin on it where, yeah, maybe I had a terrible childhood, but God is good and has redeemed. Uh, and I would say that there was something in college, grad school, that my faith really had to go through a crucible to really understand 
uh, a lot of the ways that I was using God and the gospel were actually to escape suffering, heartache, reality. And I would say just through grad school was really the process of really understanding that, you know, the gospel is actually so much more found in the places of heartache and emptiness than I would have ever liked to have believed. That's awesome, man. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. So today we're talking about sexual brokenness. Um, you know, even saying the word, some people are like, mm, I don't want to talk about that probably just turn this episode off. Uh, but, you know, this is sadly a lot of the work that you do and something the church never really wants to handle. Uh, so just so we're all on the same page, Jay, to start the conversation, when we say sexual brokenness, what's all included in that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, what I, what I refer to with a lot of my work, so my book is called Unwanted. And so I use this phrase throughout the book called unwanted sexual behavior. And so that's really in reference to any behavior or fantasy that at the end of the day you wish was not part of your life. So that could be the use of pornography, uh, extramarital affairs, buying sex, hookups, uh, or some type of fantasy that, uh, you know, you might be having sex with your partner and you just begin to find that your mind begins to wander to a fantasy from another time in life or you make something up with a colleague. Uh, you know, a lot of us have good reasons to pursue our sexual brokenness, but I think if you pressed a lot of people, they would say, you know, at the end of the day, this is something that I really don't want. And so, you know, to your, to your point at the start of this question, the church has just immensely mishandled this issue. Um, and so what I would say most of us have inherited in the church is a very, uh, it's a paradigm that I refer to as lust management. And this is where you bounce your eyes. This is when you slap a rubber band around your wrist. Uh, if you continue to struggle, then you get internet monitoring, put on your computer, you get into some accountability. And it's all about trying to manage your sexual life. But as one of my friends said to me when I was writing this book, he said, Jay, when I've been having the same conversation with my accountability partner for 15 years, something isn't working. So I would say that was much more the conservative Christian approach. But then on the more progressive side is I would just say it's shame management. So the, the approach is let's remove the shame and stigma associated with people's sexual choices. As long as there's consent, no one's getting hurt, then let's just kind of let people have a pass. And well, that paradigm really doesn't lead much to freedom either, just from, I'm also a therapist. Uh, so I see a lot of just the failures of both of these approaches. And so my idea was, what if we could actually come up with a third way that would invite people to make meaning out of their sexual life? So again, we don't try and suppress sexual desire or fantasy, and neither do we just try and liberate it as if it doesn't have any meaning. Uh, so a lot of the research that I did, we can talk about that later, looked at sexual fantasies, the, the search for terms that people put into the internet, uh, what people think about when they're having sex. And what we learned was that everyone has various levels of sexual brokenness, unwanted sexual behavior or fantasy in their life. And instead of just trying to suppress it or act as if it doesn't mean anything, I really want people to view their sexual fantasies and their sexual brokenness as one of the greatest teachers rather than something that is just evidence of shame and immorality. 
Now, there's many ways that people are introduced to to sex, sexual addiction. Um, you know, some of that is is a beautiful story. Others of it is quite traumatic, um, abuse, trauma. Uh, you know, and, and there's a level of innocence broken. This isn't just a secular or sacred issue. This is a human issue, correct? Yes, very much so. I mean, it, it affects 57% of our pastors are struggling with this, 64% of our youth pastors. Uh, about 30% of all porn users on the internet are now women. Uh, so this is very much a human issue. Uh, it's something that affects faith communities. It, it affects uh, virtually everyone. If you really begin to ask people you know, was there any exposure to pornography or sexual touch that uh, you didn't necessarily choose? Maybe it was introduced to you. Maybe there was some form of an assault. And most of what you will find is that people have uh, been introduced or have known some level of sexual abuse, sexual assault at some point in their life. And so that, that was really uh, what I wanted to look at in the research that I did was, it, let's say that you struggled with pornography or you were buying sex, what could those behaviors actually tell us about you? So just a really key distinction that our, uh, our sexual brokenness is not evidence of a sexual addiction or sexual shame. Far more, it is a roadmap to healing. And I think that that's a really vital distinction of how do we understand that uh, the, the problems that we face are actually opportunities to grow emotionally and spiritually. And so one of the things that my research looked at was uh, could someone's sexual fantasy and porn search be predicted based on the parts of their story? So one example of this was, let's say that you were a man who wanted to see uh, a blonde, uh, someone in college, a teenager, uh, or a race that suggested to the porn user some level of subservience, what we learned is that that sexual fantasy could be predicted by three things. Uh, your, if you had a strict father growing up, uh, the second was if you had a profound lack of purpose in your life, and the third was if you had high levels of shame. And so Father Richard Rohr says, the pain that we do not transform, we transmit. Always someone else has to suffer because I don't know how to. And so when you look at a lot of porn fantasies and a lot of involvement with pornography, what you'll find is that that's not just a random struggle uh, where someone happens to be immoral. That is actually informed by the story that they're bringing to the pornography in the first place. And so if a man, you know, was powered over by his father growing up and he's dealing with a lot of lack of purpose, meaning he doesn't know how to direct his life, he looks back at his life and sees a lot of failure. Well, part of the appeal to pornography is not just an issue of lust, but it's actually a place to be able to reestablish power and control. And so that's where I'm really inviting people to consider uh, how is your sexual brokenness uh, a clarion call to heal some of these underlying stories of heartache. Uh, we also learned that some people who struggle the most with sexual brokenness, uh, I used a Likert scale in my research of basically zero to five. And we found that the most significant users of pornography and those who pursued the most sexual brokenness had sexual abuse scores that were nearly 24% higher than those who had not uh, been pursuing pornography. So just that sense of there is so much trauma, there's so much childhood heartache, 
that's actually informing why people get involved with sexual brokenness. Yeah, it's almost a map, uh, you know, to look back. And if you can understand the origins, maybe you can understand some of the behaviors. Precisely. Yep. These things are not random. And I think we've done a really terrible job in the church of trying to corner people into how bad they are. And then they need to get into accountability rather than actually inviting people to be radically curious about their lives. So when you look at the Old Testament, when Adam has just eaten of the fruit that he was commanded not to eat from, God doesn't show up and say, now bounce your eyes from that next tempting piece of fruit, get into accountability and let's not do this anymore. God shows up to Adam and says, where are you? What have you done? And the same thing to Hagar, uh, who's just been immensely traumatized by the first family of our faith. She hits the road in the desert and that's where the angel of the Lord finds her and says, Hagar, where do you come from and where are you going? And so if we as Christians are hearing the voice of God, it should be one of curiosity. So if you hear a voice of condemnation, a voice of accusation, part of what I would submit is that's likely not the voice of God. That's probably an inherited script from a church, maybe a faith leader. Uh, but I think when God arrives and breaks into our story, God arrives with a lot of curiosity to invite us to reflect about the path that got us to where we are today. It's hmm, powerful. Now, Jay, as a therapist, I, I mean, I've, I've been in therapy probably close to eight, nine years now. Mm -hmm. uh, and speaking for myself, some things are just not as easily, you know, sat down and opened up about. Uh, is this something that in your experience people come eager, ready to speak to you about? Or is there a lot of shame with this subject? <laughs> it's such a good question. Uh, people will go to... Uh, the dentist before they show up in a therapist's office to talk about these matters. So, and that that's the sad thing is that usually it's always crisis that motivates people into change. So people, uh, their internet history gets discovered by their employer. Uh, their spouse finds some iMessages uh, between an affair partner or some porn history pops up and it, it just begins to destroy their life. And it's at that juncture where they realize, well, I don't wanna lose my job, don't wanna lose my marriage, don't wanna lose my sense of self. Now I really need to get some help. And so that's unfortunately the way it goes. And I think that's because we haven't seen our sexuality as just a really core place of development and discipleship in the church. We uh, usually just kind of tell people, uh, I would say a lot of lies and illusions that, you know, just abstain from sex. And then when you get married, you're going to have mind blowing, amazing sex. And what no one ever tells you is no marriage ministry, whatever it is you pursue is going to intensify any baseline level of sexual brokenness that you have. Uh, it's going to make matters worse, not better. And so I think that's just a huge issue within the church is we, we haven't invited people to see that your sexuality, uh, who you are sexually, is uh, one of the greatest places of spiritual formation and emotional growth that you could ever imagine. Now, you had a post about this uh, a couple weeks back, but the, like we said before, this affects everybody. And 
uh, and it hits us differently when it's our celebrities. You know, recently, uh, Carl Lentz just came out as having an affair. Ravi Zacharias having sexting issues. John Christ openly admitted to misconduct with fans. It's, it's literally all over the place, unfortunately. Why do we have this sort of plank in our own eye, but the splinter in in somebody else's when it comes to public figures? You know, why does why does the celebrity status really seem to shake us? Mm-hmm. Well, I think two things. I, I think yes, we are all self righteous, uh, but I think we we really need to understand when our pastors, when our faith leaders begin to have an affair, a sexting relationship, particularly with people in their congregations or in their network of influence, that is not just an affair, that's far more an abuse of power. So all, so many of the people that you referenced um, and certainly many others are using their power, they're using their privilege in order to influence the sexual life of someone that they lead. And that's not just mere infidelity, that's actually the abuse of power. And that's one of those things that, you know, I took seminary classes and I took grad school classes. Well, in grad school, what they teach you with regard to uh, being a therapist is if you begin to have uh, an affair with someone uh, that you are working with professionally, that's not an affair. That's, that's an abuse of power that you're going to lose your license over. But we in the church through seminary and theological training have not invited people to see that same thing. That you know, when someone begins to develop a relationship with you, they're developing a relationship with you with regard to trust. Uh, and when that trust is misused through the through power, that is going to wreak havoc. And so I think just a lot of the big scandals in the Catholic Church and the Protestant churches, uh, I think that that's really why we're, we want to address that and, and root that out is because of the ways that we've misused our power. But then I would say the the second category would be just what I refer to as the evangelical binge purge cycle with regard to sexuality. And so uh, this is kind of a form of, you might call it like sexual bulimia, where in bulimia is a eating disorder, really painful uh, life altering eating disorder that men and women face. And it's essentially when you eat a lot of food, meaning you binge on some type of food, and then you realize what you've done, and you don't want to kind of have that food, the calories in your system. And so then you try to purge it out. And that purge could be through vomiting, that purge could be through exercise. And so what happens with, I think, a lot of our sexual lives, particularly in faith-based communities, is that we uh, are binging on extramarital affairs. We're binging on a lot of pornography. And then we realize what we've done. We have these misguided thoughts that God is really disappointed and sad about everything that we've done. And then we try to, and then we think that we are just kind of ugly, perverse people. And then we go to really excessive lengths to begin to purge all of that out. So that could be, you know, getting on Spotify and listening to worship music. That could be trying to download another sermon in order to purge out some of the sin and the iniquity. And again, it's not that worship music or listening to a sermon after you have feel like you've 
entered into a place of failure is a bad thing. But when it's a binge and purge cycle, meaning that I'm always binging on some type of sexual behavior, feeling bad about it, and then I try and purge it out, that's really when it's more of a disorder. And so I think that's what we're seeing a lot in our churches these days is that binge and purge cycle is alive and strong in the Christian community. that you know people rarely get help unless something goes wrong um i think there's i think that's a major struggle with men and women uh not knowing where to turn to to get help you know therapy especially within the christian community is sort of looked at as what the world uses to deal with things because we have the bible and prayer and you know all these narratives that we've told ourselves but say a listener is listening and and you know we're speaking their story they really recognize and and associate with some of the things we're talking about as a therapist what would you recommend as a first step for handling some of this stuff mm -hmm. yes i would say uh go to pursue therapy <laughs> and uh therapy is is such a beautiful thing to begin to pursue so one of the things that therapists are really good at doing is is helping you to consider some alternative interpretations for the problems that you're facing. So in many ways, uh, therapists see the problem as the solution. So if my, let's say that I have a bad back and my bad back really hurts. Well, my bad back is actually a holy prophet that's trying to get my attention. So it might be saying something to me like, Hey, Jay, you went through a car accident last year and you never went to a chiropractor. Your, your back is aching because it needs to be addressed. Or maybe it's you have a really terrible chair. And since uh, being home in COVID, you've been sitting in just a terrible uh, seating arrangement and now your back hurts. And so just that sense of the symptoms of our lives are signals they're trying to get our attention in the only way that we know how but usually we just condemn ourselves like my back hurts my back aches rather than being able to really listen to our symptoms and so when you're with a therapist that therapist is going to help you listen to your life story they're going to help you listen to your struggles they're going to help you pay attention to some of the heartaches in your life and help you understand alternative interpretations because most of us uh, we we live as prey to shame, meaning we're always trying to run away from the accusations of shame. And so we end up swimming away from it our entire life, and we never actually turn to face what it is that our shame is telling us. And so the more that we turn to face our shame, uh, the less empowered shame is. And then that allows us to see our life story and our struggles from a very different perspective. So highly recommend therapy, but I would also highly recommend just being in a group, uh, going to a pub uh, and talking about these, these issues, because it's, it's one of those things that in our shame, we think that we are the only man or woman struggling with this. But when you begin to have conversations, open up about these things, what you'll find is this is so much more common than any of us would have liked to believe. And Jay, I've really enjoyed our conversation, but as we close, 
you know, sort of a last question. How does the church better engage with sexuality, its broken fragments within its congregants? You know, there's so many things that we could do, but if there was just one step, just one first uh, move in a better direction, what do you think that that would be? Uh, I went to two, so I'll, I'll say two. So uh, the first thing was that we tend to think about sexual brokenness as a lust issue, uh, but it's not. I mean, it, it's no less than a lust issue, but it's also an anger issue. It's also an anxiety issue. And so one of the ways that I think about sexual brokenness would be to to compare it to something like the Mississippi River. So the Mississippi River is so big and so powerful because it's not just one river. It's actually fed into by a lot of different tributaries. So you have the Missouri, the Tennessee, the Arkansas, and a lot of other rivers that are flowing into this. And so in the church, we have primarily made sexual brokenness a lust issue. And then we've thought if we can just dam up the lust and stop that tributary, then we'll be able to stop sexual brokenness. And lo and behold, it doesn't work because there's a lot of other things going on in our sexual life outside of just lust. So an example might be anger. So let's say you get a bad performance review at work, or let's say you, you tried to have sex with your spouse and they say no. Well, that's not a neutral rejection. You're not just gonna feel, oh, that was great that I had a terrible performance review. Oh, it's it's nice that my, my spouse rejected me. You're going to feel some baseline level of anger. And so part of the question that the church needs to be asking is where are you going with that anger? And a lot of times people go to a world of pornography, extramarital affairs in order to find relief from some of the misery of their life, but to also find revenge against some of the difficulties that they're facing. And so I think we in the church really need to see this issue as not just lust. There's a lot of stuff that we don't fully understand and we need to broaden our conversation. Uh, the second would be, uh, we only talk about sex primarily when it comes to sexual brokenness. And so the analogy that I, you know, bring, that I, uh, think about with this is that, you know, if you were to try and teach people how to cook, but the only thing you ever told them about was like, don't get food poisoning, watch out for food poisoning, people are not going to enjoy the process of cooking. And so in the church, that's when our only conversation is basically, you know, those who are struggling with this need to go into a church basement or get into an accountability group. Uh, that's not going to create a lot of desire for people to understand their sexual life. They're going to go to pornography and other things in the uh, in the media in order to get a sex education. And so I think in the church, one of the things that we can do is to bring conversations out of the basement and bring them into topics that we're talking about in our sermons and our small groups. So a lot of just you know, small group materials have to do with discipleship, knowing God, loving others. Uh, but why don't we ever read books on healthy sexuality? If if healthy if sexuality is a gift that God has given to us, like like for example, the the clitoris has essentially no other purpose except for sexual pleasure, and God designed that. And so, just that sense of being able to say, what do we do with? a God who has designed us for sexual pleasure. This is a really good thing. And so rather than just creating basement communities to try and manage their lust, what if we actually spent six months 
as a whole church trying to understand what healthy sexuality is and the gift that God has given us to it. So I think if we can broaden the conversation with regard to sexual brokenness, not just being a lust issue, but a, a, a wider issue of human emotions and how we're metabolizing them. And then we widen the conversation to really understand healthy sexuality will be in a, a much better place in the decade to come. Amazing thoughts, Jay. Thank you. And, uh, and thanks for being on the show. Can you tell us a little bit about the book and where people can connect with you online? Yeah, sure. Uh, so my uh, website is jay-stringer.com. Uh, also find me on Instagram. And uh, on my website, you can find just a, I, one of my big passions is just to create resources for the church to be able to come change the conversation on these matters. So uh, the book is there. I also created a sexual behavior self-assessment. It's about 160 questions that will help you understand your sexual brokenness as a roadmap to healing. So after you complete it, you'll you'll receive about a 40 page report uh, that's going to give you compass headings about what is driving you to your unwanted sexual choices. And then we also have a online course that can be used as a self study or as a small group material if you want to understand just your sexual story and how it got formed and then how you can change it. So I would say the, the book, the self-assessment and the journey course are, are great resources to begin if you want to step into some of these matters. That's awesome. We'll make sure we throw it all in the show notes. But again, Jay, thanks for being on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Honored to be here. And that wraps up this episode of The Dismantle. Thanks so much for listening. You can find us online on Instagram at dismantlepod or shoot us an email at dismantlepod at gmail.com. Until next time, don't complain about the things you're not willing to change. 